Hi, welcome to the Coffee Chat Podcast. This week we spoke to Dorothy May. I met Dorothy virtually during COVID and we just connected and I'm so grateful. We chatted about our experience as women, comedy, bringing awareness to the refugee situation in Australia, and some fun rapid fire questions. So grab a coffee and enjoy. But welcome to the Coffee Chat Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Are we on? Is this a film? Yeah, this is this is it. We're doing it. It's happened. It's already happened. This is it. Oh my gosh. How do you feel? Oh my goodness. And we're here. (laughs) I feel liberated. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I am at my destination. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so I want you to start off uh, by just introducing yourself to our listeners and just like about you and your kind of, I guess, creative journey so far and where you're at now. What a beautiful question. Okay. Um, (laughs) thank you. I, hello listeners. I am Dorothy. (laughs) Um, my creative journey. Oh my gosh. That's a huge question, isn't it? Um, it's a never ending um, adventure really. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think the constant goal is to be creative as a human being and, um, other things can get in the way, but I think I've done an all right job of steering the ship back on course (laughs) wherever I can. Um, I, you know, I love to perform. I love to teach, I teach um, comedy at the moment and I teach singing. Um, And so I'm very passionate about that. And I also just love entertaining myself. So I I mean, entertaining myself, but also other people. I love to entertain. (laughs) You're on one woman show just for you. (laughs) Just for me. I book out auditoriums, but I don't don't sell any tickets. Um, (laughs) It's just for me. Um, so I, yeah, my main modality of entertaining and being creative and sharing that with others at the moment is music. Um, I I absolutely adore acting and I absolutely, absolutely adore, um, dancing as well. Um, but given, given the challenge of the current time for me, just done my best to funnel my energy into at least one outlet in a quite strong way. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Like that makes me happy. So I'm spending a lot of time with music wherever possible. That's probably, yeah, I think that answers the question. Yeah, no, that's so beautiful. Um, I do. Now we've touched on this in our Mm. conversation I don't know if you know what's coming. You probably don't, but we'll find out. <laughs> Surprise. I'm excited. Right? So I do want to touch a little bit on this podcast and with you because you went to VCA, which I've told you, yeah. I, it was my dream uni when I was in Australia because it was like VCA. Yeah. And I guess, brief- <laughs> well, it was, it was like a big deal. <laughs> yeah. so get in and it's fine. <laughs> Um, but what was your experience going to, you know, I guess a big drama school and I guess, you know, cause the expectation, you know, from everyone is that if you go there, you're instantly successful, you know what I mean? So what was your personal experience with that? 
Well, I think I ruined that for myself <laughs> um, by just like crashing that train as soon as I finished my degree because I just went, nope, I'm going on an extended holiday to <laughs> Port Douglas with my partner and we're not coming back. <laughs> so that was how I handled that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I, got, I got a good agent out of it as well at that time. Well, I had the offer, I should say. Yeah. And I didn't, um, I didn't take up the offer because um, it wasn't the right time for me. I think acting school for me unearthed a lot of um, issues that I had with my own mental health, my own support network, and it made me realise that I had some serious work to do as a human yeah. being before I could be really um, reaching my potential as a creative. You know. So, but yeah. that being said, the actual process of of that that experience at drama school was a real mixed bag for me because mm. um, I had some I had physical injury combined with you know family struggles at the same time as being at a school where I was surrounded by some of the most talented people yeah. you've ever met like that was so inspiring to me I the first day um, that we came in um, our course coordinator got us to sing one day more oh wow um just on the fly and everyone sung and i didn't even know the song (laughs) 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 but everyone else knew like everyone else knew exactly what was that is gonna be my favorite thing (laughs) (laughs) they were like one day and i was like I'm just like pretending that I know what's going on. Um, <laughs> I love that. And, and, um, and they all sounded amazing. So I was just, I had this most, the most amazing surround sound oh <laughs> experience. It's like boomy harmonies all around me. And I was like, <gasps> I'm in heaven. <laughs> oh my God. So that felt like a dream, you know, and, and a lot of it did feel like a dream, you know, to be able to spend all of my time just doing the thing that I loved even though I struggled a lot as a young adult during Mm -hmm. that time to be at you know most of the time I was able to get into class and flip a switch and just be in class and yeah be fully absorbed in it and that was my bliss you know like there is no (laughs) there is no better place to be than in a space with other people sharing your passion and you know doing what you love oh 100 percent i <laughs> it was yeah it was tricky it was tricky the competitivity i think in hindsight i mm. feel like we needed to engage more with audiences regularly as a way to yeah. balance out that energy exchange between performer and audience because yeah being each other's audience a lot of the time encouraged a lot of uh oh I don't know, um, maybe, you know, professional jealousy or competition Mm. or, or, you know, so there was always that energy in the space, like people sizing each other up and (laughs) and and it's just that sort of environment kind of, I think, um, just sort of just does that if, if you're not able to channel your performance for an audience um and it's just that kind of environment I feel is is a bit of a I don't know it's a tricky one 
I still it, think about it as an educator myself. Yeah. You know, what, what is a better alternative to that? And I think that a better alternative than, you know, ha always having in-house um, performances for each other when everyone's already kind of feeling insecure and kind of feeling like they need to prove themselves and comparing each other. Yeah. I think the best avenue to, to remedy that is to, you know, bring in audiences as much as possible even if it's just you know yeah. 20 people of everyone's closest friends every week or you know i think that's a good way to offset the other stuff that can be a little bit inhibiting yeah, yeah. no i agree and i think even in general like it's different to get feedback from um like your you know as peers or you know like if we were to do something it's different from us to critique each other than an audience of strangers who don't necessarily know the industry or the craft and they might be yeah. it's good you know yeah a bit like oh especially if they're jealous of you it's like uh-huh that was oh yeah that was good you know whatever i think that's <laughs> you know what i mean and you've yeah you've, and as much as we like to all believe we're the best kind of human <laughs> beings like like jealousy will always be in the room when oh. when you're in a space like that. Always. Like it, it's natural, it's normal, but um, it's not it's not replicating. It's like it's not an authentic rep replication of what an audience is actually going to be like. Yeah. And you know, when I teach students now that are in art school, that's something that I try and remind them. Like your audience isn't your 28 peers in your course. <laughs> Like when you get the job, your audience is the public and yeah. the public are probably just buying tickets because they want to have a good time. And that's about as far as their knowledge and understanding of the craft is. So like chill out and enjoy, exactly. enjoy it and think of that connection, you know? I agree. I remember doing, um, I did a performance and it was here in Vancouver and it was like a really good lesson on like, why at least I got into performing and storytelling um and I did this performance it was like I did a comedy monologue and this audience member came up to me and she was like hey like I just like loved your work she's like I could literally just watch you perform all the time and I was like and just like but even but in myself I wasn't happy with that performance <laughs> like there were so many things I could say about it that I was like I hated oh, it right yeah you know, an audience it was just like they enjoyed it and I was like well if you enjoyed it then I've done it you know yeah you've done your job and it's like they don't have a microscope on your work like like you do for your own work you know what I mean like they haven't done it a million times to be sick of it and super self-aware and yeah yeah They're just like this is funny and I like it yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's super easy yeah no, I agree. Um, I do want to talk about, so you, obviously, so you teach singing, right? And you also have your comedy lab. Yeah. Tell the world about that and how that started for you. Yeah. I mean, um, with singing, it's just felt like a natural sort of progression because it's something that I have been doing for such a long time. And I do have the experience and qualifications to support that. And, um, you know, it just, it's just rolled out. Like, it just makes sense. <laughs> I'm like, it's just it time that I teach and I, 
incorporate that into you know my lifestyle because mm -hmm. I love it and I love sharing that with others um you know at the moment I've recently I completed a emotional freedom course yeah. as well so I can incorporate that into my practice and I'm really passionate and excited about the potential of combining healing with you know the voice practice voice technique and voice lessons because yeah. I think that for me, I actually used EFT and other healing modalities to help unlock some of the blocks and challenges I was facing with my own voice. And I thought, well, why can't I offer that to my own students? Like, it just makes sense yeah. to have an extra tool that's available. So that's kind of cool. And then with the comedy used, um, I found myself doing a lot of stand-up comedy um or just and just being around a lot of stand-up comedy um several years ago when I was in an in-between spot and wasn't yeah. you know actively performing for a living or anything and um you know I just was fascinated about comedy and thought this is just so exciting to me that you can create something that is just funny and just make people feel good um, and I just really felt the healing power of that I was having a really rough time and I was like wow comedy is giving me joy when I'm not feeling it anywhere else and and then so it started out as a community pro program that I ran um, out of a community center and it was called the humor experiment and it was just rock up gold donation if you wish and um for an hour we just do we just play it's just physical comedy improvisation clowning um and laughter um yeah. <laughs> and that sort of evolved over time and then i've done different workshops through the humor experiments and physical theater but it's all it's all surrounding comedy and at the moment the comedy lab i run every sunday evening and yeah. it started out as a split between physical comedy and comedy writing and now it's um for now it's focused in on still that framework but directed to suit stand-up comedy specifically oh. because there's so many different ways you can utilize comedy but at the moment the women that are in the group um all are really passionate about creating stand-up comedy so oh, wow. it just felt authentic to shape it in that way and go yep all right so now we're, we're building and working towards 10-minute um, stand-up comedy sets for each of them. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it's I exciting. And, and it's really exciting because they will get to perform them as well. So oh, I'm giving them a flexible period of um, development, you know, between a month and maybe, you know, six where weeks they, to go. But Where are they performing these? How I, I want to see oh my gosh so it will depend at the moment i've just got some flexible arrangements which mm -hmm. i cannot provide you with unfortunately but i will keep you updated yeah. and um for anyone that is interested you know follow the humor experiment facebook page and you'll be in the loop yeah. um and they're flexible arrangements because obviously we're all sort of sitting here going we're not really sure what's happening with COVID at you know, during this time and um i'm he just hesitant to put plans into Oh yeah. Into place when um, we're not really sure what next week holds. And um, so that's why I've just sort of got tentative arrangements for a few different scenarios, but they will be sharing the, their work. And I'm really that. excited. I'm really excited. Yeah. And everyone listening should be excited about that. That's just, it's just, 
even in this time, just create something and that you're facilitating a place for that to happen. Um, especially because, and we also kind of have briefly chatted about this. Um, I posted on my Instagram about like women in comedy and how dare we be funny. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's so true though. Like, and you know, it's just even the more that like, you know, I myself am learning about comedy, the more I'm realizing it is a man's world. (laughs) Which I haven't realized. That's the problem, I think, is the deeper you get into it, the deeper you like the the environment that you're working with. Yeah. And I guess, like, Mm. let's have a conversation about that. (laughs) I would love to have a conversation about it. You've read my mind. Where do we start? I mean, Mm. there's just, I mean, firstly, what's your experience with that and what you think, you know, about Um, when I When I first started stand-up, and started well, yeah, I'm actually really in that space. I've never done stand-up, so I'm like, I want yeah. to I was going through a really challenging personal time anyway, so it made it really hard for me to be as astute and, and as aware as I would be now, you know, in hindsight. Um, but there were many aspects at the time where I felt like an outsider, like it's very much a male dominated space. And um, I mean, when I got up, I always, I always felt like I had to prove why, why I was allowed to be there. Like there's that feeling of, and I'm going to be just like very candid and honest because I think um, that there's no other way to be. And that may not be the most popular way to express yourself, but ultimately I think while many female comedians or females that are engaged with stand-up comedy might discount what I have to say. Um, In contrary to that, I would say that I think there are a lot of females that are engaging the best that they can in that space and are willing to make certain concessions and sacrifices in order to have success. Um, But me as the the kind of person that I am, I feel that... I'm very stubborn and very much I like to think of the long game and also the impact. And I don't think that making concessions and um, sacrifices because of gender is an appropriate expectation to have for myself and others. I think that yeah. comedy needs to grow and change and become more, more inclusive and um, even footed because even, I mean, in the ways that I can, I mean, in the obvious ways, it's, you know, about lineups, it's about ratios, it's like how many women yeah. and versus how many men are on any given lineup. Um, you know, often that can yeah. paint a clear picture. Um, you know, it's also about how many men are engaged in the, within the comedy scene in, in the ratio as a you know, with how many women are engaged in the comedy scene. Yeah. And whenever I'm in those spaces and those open mics and things that always, I mean, I, it's been a few years since I've been been at these sorts of events because I don't, I stay away from them because it's not where I want to be. It doesn't make me feel empowered. So just don't go. Um, I, love that. I agree. <laughs> um, I'm like, so with you. Yeah. I'm making my own space. So I'm not worried about trying to fit into somebody else's now, which is very empowering for me. But 
you know, when I would go into these spaces, the women would be the minority. And I think whenever you see that in a space, that says something because women are the percent of the population. Like it is pretty, it's yeah. a pretty even divide <laughs> out there in the big wide world. So then if you walk into a space and that ratio is off, we have to ask questions and go, why is that? Yeah. Yeah. There must be something going on for that to ha have an effect. And I think for anyone that's actually interested in finding more, more finding out more about what that is, they will find the answers if they open their eyes and open their ears. And I'm not kind of yeah. one to, I don't, I don't love to sort of, you know, shove it in people's faces and force them to work it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have, you know, um, and I think because I have disengaged from it, it's a little bit tricky to, to relate now but I don't like being talked down to I don't like mm. when I go into a room in a stand-up comedy club or at the venue event and I don't like I don't like when I go in and I have like two or three guys come and try and chat me up that are also stand-up comics like I'm not there to hook up I'm yeah. here to do comedy exactly and <laughs> um I don't like that um I don't like when I mean I don't you know even um at a recent I did a recent stand-up comedy competition and they had this big spiel beforehand that misogyny and a bunch of other things weren't tolerated okay but then I got up and did my set and it was very femme it was very female impact like it was very um empowered female type type comedy and they hated it. The men in the room hated it. Like I, I did some audience interaction with one of them and he just blatantly like told me, no, that's not funny. Like, <laughs> but I guess that's was the like, problem. <laughs> like, no. and there, there was like three women in the room and they all giggled. They were loving it on the inside, oh. but even they were like quite reserved because they felt like, I guess they felt like it was like, they, they didn't want to, stand out for laughing because large majority in that room the large majority of that room were men in the audience and that also says something that says you know something. so yeah it does and then i and then i see and i think the thing that i notice the most is oh, there's a few things actually i also find that often you know often the rooms will be filled with other stand up comics that are mm -hmm. on the bill and I do feel like there's this sense of withholding laughter from women. And I don't, and I don't even know if they're, if they're aware of it or if all, I don't, I don't, I also don't want to say that all men act that way. Yeah. Um, Cause I think it's dangerous to group in, in majorities, but you know, I would feel like that. I would be like, why do I feel like, what I just said was funny and the timing was right and it fell in the pocket and I'm not getting a laugh or I'm, mm -hmm. um, I feel like the, you know, the, the group of comics are not willing to sort of support that or, you know, and these are hard things to prove and that's why I'm not <laughs> going around like ranting off the top of my head. Like, you know, yeah, no, I but, but it's something that you notice, you know, and I think, you know, um, 
And I said this to one of my male friends that's a comic here in Brisbane. Yeah. And I was like, the tricky thing about that is if you can feel withholding of love and that lack of support, mm-hmm. um, it affects your confidence. And it's the easiest yeah. way to discourage women from getting up. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically, if that's what was happening, it would be a successful strategy that is working. Um, it's and mm, yeah, I think oh, so, there's so many aspects of it. Um, there's so many little. Well, it's true though, mm. and it's interesting that you said the thing in stand up. Um, about oh my god please don't let me lose my train of thought now hi <laughs> um hey. I, like, hey came at the perfect time my brain, my brain just like switched off like i was so ready my brain went not today not today um oh that's right okay so we're back um the thing that i think is interesting when you said about your set and it was very like femme etc <laughs> Um, I find a similar thing in improv is that when there's, there's this assumption that women in anything, comedy, stand-up, improv, that we have to be sexualized and that we even have to Mm. sexualize ourselves for men. And I'm like, no, I can still, I I, I don't have to be like in a sketch, be like, here are my tits out. I'm so funny. Like, look at me. It's like, no, I can do other things and I think that's an interesting thing that is just like yeah brought up that it's like why do I why am I thinking that I have to do that to be successful right you know and it's ultimately the male gates you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's like it comes from misogyny and it comes from the patriarchy and it comes from these large overarching structures that have had an influence over time over the unconscious bias that that men have around women and I think until they're willing to have these discussions and listen and and learn about it and be more curious as opposed to defensive nothing will change and that's why I don't believe in like preaching or forcing it into somebody's space because I know that that's not the strategy that works yeah. Um, I know that our learning and development has to come from an authentic interest in caring about someone and wanting to understand them better. And until the men in these comedy spaces genuinely do care and genuinely do want to understand women better and support them better in the way that works for them, um, it will stay the same. And I think the most powerful thing that we can do as women is just create spaces independent of those the other spaces like we need to create our own spaces that people can come yeah. into and create a new way of doing things and set a new stand- standard set a new bar and say this is this is the level this is how we treat each other this is the way we work and it's inclusive for everyone but when you come into this space we have our rules we have our way yeah. of doing things and we do respect each other and treat women differently in this space um, and in order to be a part of this space, you need to respect that. And I think that's what I'm really passionate about, about the comedy lab is very much for me. It is, it is about that. And it's exciting to say, this is a space where we get to decide how we wish to be treated and treat each other. And how we do that will be an example to any men that do come into this space. And actually I think it's really exciting because 
it's exciting for men because what men will find when they join the space too is that there's more room to be to err and be human and to be sensitive and to um be feminine sometimes and be masculine and um be supported and have that kind of lovely warmth that um the feminine energy does provide and I think that men will flourish in that space too. Um, so yeah, it is exciting. And, you know, I, um, yeah, there are many more things I can say on that. No, no, I'll leave it listen to. Yes. So I want to mention the podcast I was listening to was saying, there were all these women on this panel were talking about that, you know, specifically, I guess, in Hollywood, you, it, it's weird to be seen as, yeah, wow, you do comedy and you're female, but like, you're also attractive. Like to people, that's a weird thing because it's like, well, if you're a comedian, like you usually do the like best friend quirky stuff and you know, you're like the nerdy, like not cool friend in like high school, you'd never be like a lead. And that's something I'm so passionate about right now because I'm like, can do both like why am I being put into a little box of like oh okay I'm funny so I can't like you know be like Catwoman (laughs) weird example to bring out (laughs) but yeah and I like don't know what your thoughts are about that as a fellow funny woman you know I think that oh that's a really good question and point (laughs) that you make I definitely felt like that actually from some of the other female comment comics actually that I was surrounded by a few years back. I was like, why there'd be like little digs or little comments about my looks and, mm-hmm. and I just, and like, I don't think I'm a supermodel. <laughs> oh, me either. I, but I, I think, I, I think I go all right. <laughs> scrub up well I can I can make myself look put together you know (laughs) um and yeah and that did bother me and it did bother me that there was almost this separate filter that Mm. either you you look good or you're funny (laughs) you look good or you're funny and for some reason those filters it's like we struggle (laughs) we struggle having both yeah is it a threat? Is it, is it a threat if a pretty woman is funny? I don't know. I even found that when I was living with some men recently, like yeah. about a year ago, they had a really issue with me being funny. Like I'd make jokes and they just weren't comfortable with laughing at them. And it's almost, it's misogyny. And I mean, I know that they'd argue that it's not, and I'm just not funny. Um, <laughs> but like the reality is it is. <laughs> Like, I don't even need to prove it. I don't even feel the need to prove it. Like, it's just, if someone's funny and you can't laugh at it, you've got a problem. And I would say that the problem is misogyny in this instance. Um, And I think that, I don't know, I think that maybe, I guess being funny is powerful, right? Yeah, I agree. It's super powerful. So, like, if you make someone laugh, you've got them in the palm of your hand and they've like willingly said to you, I'm with you. I'm going along with you. I, I fall into your grace. Like I trust you. I'm on your ride. Like, and I don't think that a lot of men are willing to do that with women. And I don't, 
and maybe they just don't trust us <laughs> you know like it's because true I, because I just think that and you know you, you kind of see that you see that within misogyny don't you um in the picture of it that it, tend, it does tend to come from this distrust and it's like needing the upper hand because well what what if i don't have the upper hand god forbid yeah. it's just nice and everyone just has an equal playing field and we just enjoy it i think there's a feeling of threat there and i guess if you're already a pretty woman they probably already feel like you already do have the upper hand because you're so hot and then if you make them laugh as well, oh no. Oh God, how <laughs> dude, dare you? <laughs> what? That's how? rude. <laughs> well, it, it, I, think, I think that's when we have to look at this overarching structure as well, yeah. which is this patriarchal structure and this power structure of like, who's in charge. And so like our, in our Western culture, our communities are very much built around this patriarchal structure mm -hmm. and the higher, and the way it works is like the higher up in the rungs in the ladder that you are, the more power that you have, the more say you have, the more right you have. And then it, then, then what it becomes is it becomes everybody struggling to be one up, one up yeah. in this power structure to get as much power out of the situation as they can, to have influence, to get what they need, to yeah. feel admired, respected, whatever, whatever it may be. And I think that women are a little bit more gracious in that power structure. I think we're a bit more willing to put our hands up and be like, okay, you, you step above me. If you need that so bad, you just step above me and I'll just hang down here. And, yeah. you know, at a certain point in time, maybe it's important that women don't, just go along with that and say instead say actually no this is where I stand work around me because um you know women make great leaders and when women are respected we can do really great work so and that goes beyond yeah. comedy into like the world at large I think yeah. oh which yeah. is for me it's very fascinating to hear the stand-up view because that yeah. I don't know, that world actually intimidates me and I have to have a hard look at why it does. well it intimidates me so I just am creating <laughs> my own world because yeah. really when you strip everything away when you strip it all back what's what it's about is just getting up in front of an audience and being yourself and finding ways to make people laugh like that's not actually difficult or complicated and and once you get past the idea that you care about whether it works or not, mm. there's actually nothing else to be afraid of. So, you know, anything else that you fear is kind of unnecessary garbage in my mind and really doesn't yeah. deserve the time of day. And that's why I kind of just don't go to the spaces where I'm having to deal with the complexities of other things. Like at the end of the day, if I'm on stage and I have an audience, that's, mm. that's all I need to do what I want to do. Um, and like I realized at that last gig that I did, you know, an audience that's like 80% men that have a completely different mm -hmm. interest in, in a different, have an interest in a completely different worldview to me. They're not going to be my audience anyway. Like they're not going to be the people that want to pay to, yeah. pay to buy tickets to see me. So why am I even worried about going to these spaces yeah. that are pre-made I should be making my own space with the audience that are going to want to hear the kinds of jokes that I have yeah and I mm. think you know and I always believe 
that audience will find you. Like if they're oh. with you, they'll find you. You just yeah, gotta like 100%. keep doing it. Cause there will it be will take time. Well, yeah. And there'll be someone out there that'll be like, Oh my God, this is what I've been looking for is like your stand up or your work. Yeah. Um, which I think is and very it's so long game. Right. And that's so long game for me. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't mind if I do a show in 10 years, like at the moment, yeah. it's like, for me, it's actually a movement. It's, it's mm-hmm. less about the time on stage now. And it's more about this movement towards women being allowed and have permission to really be themselves, their real authentic selves outside of this patriarchal misogynistic culture and what that really looks like and, and how we can laugh and support each other and build each other up at the same time. And the way that I'm doing that right now is, is supporting and guiding other women creating yeah. stand-up. So even though I'm not working on my own piece at the moment, you know, I'm working on this movement and, and supporting other women too. So yeah. it's kind of cool. That's really beautiful. And I love that. I fucking love that. Um, okay. I do want you to talk about, because I, obviously I follow your social media. I'm always looking at what you're doing and I love it. I'm here oh, for you. You're a legend. Thank you. I see you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I see you too. <laughs> so, firstly, I want you because you're doing okay. I feel like I'm gonna get this wrong, but you're because I need to also get across with it. Research in hindsight would have been great before this, but <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is hindsight. me figuring it out. I know hindsight is a bitch. I'm like, god damn. <laughs> um, but is it the refugees in Australia in Brisbane and they're in? Yep. Yes. Am I getting this right? I'm like very. Yeah, so far. Oh my God, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're being put in hotel, in a hotel and they're being like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to let you so, take over because I just okay. think it's a thing that people should be hearing about. Because yeah. when you, I yeah. heard it from you and I was like, whoa, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, <sighs> The Australian government has trained asylum seekers for seven seven years. They've been doing it for, I think this this process has been around for almost 20 years now. Um, Ever since there was a campaign to say, stop the boats, stop Mm -hmm. refugees um, being able to um, seek asylum in our country, but it couldn't stop the boats. It couldn't stop the people smugglers from moving, from moving people to our land. And so these boats were redirected to detention centers that were made by the the Australian government in Nauru and Manus Island. Mm -hmm. Um, and these detention centers are disgusting. Like, oh, it's, um, like awful living conditions, just gross. Um, and many, many crimes, many crimes would take place in these spaces um, from guards, um, the way that the system is run. Um, and the whole idea was, I think, that the whole, the whole concept was like, make this process as awful as possible for these people so that they do not want to come here. Um, and in order to do that, to 
people that are fleeing violence, um, threat to their life and war, you have to make a situation really bad to think that the threat to their life is a better alternative than trying to escape. So they really, they really did that. And it's really slowed the amount of refugees that have come to the country mm-hmm. over the years. Um, but the sad reality of that process and that way of doing things is that it's tortured many people over the years. And for some for some of these men that are being detained in Australia onshore and offshore, they've been detained for, they're now on their eighth year of being detained. Oh, wow. And we're talking about, you know, awful living conditions. Some of them are in hotels now, but even then they're, they're changing these, these living spaces to make them so awful you know just recently just last week i think it was they removed all the locks on the doors so the security guards can just come in whenever they feel like and they do head checks like i was speaking to one of the men for about an hour and a security guard just waltzed in three times within that space of time oh my goodness so like and and we have to consider the fact that these people are not criminals like they shouldn't be living in a lock-up situation you know like for them to be trapped in these spaces with such um you know like they're not allowed to interact with the outside world like they've got phones but even then um peter dutton has tried to numerous times to take away their right to communications so phones and outside communications so and we have to we have to ask the question like why is this happening? And there's there's absolutely no good reason. Um, it's a human. It's a just an awful human rights issue. And um, so yeah. currently at the moment, yeah, there's a there's a big movement. Oh yeah, there's just it, it's there's so much in it. But there's a big movement, um, especially that's ha- that's happening around Australia, but that's really being led. Um, quite strongly by the our spot in Brisbane, where um, uh, at least a hundred men are being detained in Kangaroo Point at the moment, and protesters have been at that location around the clock um, since um, some of the men were removed from that facility, taken to a higher security facility, out of sight, out of mind, further out of Brisbane for speaking up about wanting to be free. Um, and since then, there's, they've, they've had this 24-7 blockade um, to try and stop, stop forced transfers from happening because the problem is when they move them out of sight, out of mind, it means it's harder for the movement because it's just getting... To, it's just getting to crunch time. You know, they're on their eighth yeah. year now and enough's enough and the government aren't listening and there are many, many, many people that are signing petitions that are fighting in the courts that are, like, the fight is happening on so many levels. We're calling, we're calling government representatives. We're calling um, the people that are detaining them at the, yeah. at, the Bris, um, at the Brisbane Immigration Transit Accommodation, like, 
phone calls are being had, like letters are being written, laws are trying to be passed. Like, every, you know, the people that care about this human rights issue are doing as much as possible. And it's just getting to the point where it's, it's ridiculous. It needs mass exposure and everyone needs to know about it. And um, we need to stand in civil disobedience to, to get the attention because the government are not listening any other way. And so, you know, they've made demands that, they, that these men need to be freed before Christmas and there needs to be an announcement made and it hasn't. So the, the consequence to that is we'll be sitting and blocking traffic on the Story Bridge in Brisbane and getting as many people there as possible so that there'll be news crews and things and people will see what's actually going on. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me that always blows my mind about the whole situation is that, like you said, they're not criminals. Like they're literally just mm -hmm. people who are fleeing their own country to have a free life. And, mm -hmm. you know, but they come, well, not here because I'm in Canada, to Australia yeah. um, and mm -hmm. they're denied that for mm -hmm. You know, like why? Blows yeah. 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 I <laughs> lighten the mood, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's mm. to talk about and be because even oh, hundred percent. I think that that's how that's how people get confused. I think these days, thinking that we have to be positive all the time, or yeah, you know, some sort of burden associated with talking about real world issues and about the hard stuff, but. I would say that it's our responsibility to our community to discuss the things that are happening to our vulnerable yeah. communities. It's our, it's our responsibility it. as free citizens of this world and as citizens yeah. of this world that have privilege of any kind, that's our responsibility to our, our brothers and sisters in need. And we just need to kind of get over ourselves. Yeah. And that's not... But yeah. Anyway, I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. So okay. let's do it. Um, what would you tell your younger self? Strap in. <laughs> Strap in, baby. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> oh, my God. That's all I've got. <laughs> Join the ride. Let's go. <laughs> You're like, you don't know what's coming for you. <laughs> you have no idea, mate. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. It was just so quick as well. That's the first time someone's answered that question. Just like, like usually people are like, oh, and you were like, strap in, let's go. <laughs> I was, and then I'd say, you know, love, your love for yourself is the most important thing out of everything, out of everything. And then just leave, leave on that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, bye. Just to leave young me in a panic attack. Yes. <laughs> Drop in, but like love yourself, you know? <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Um, what, describe yourself in three words. Tenacious. Ooh, I love that word. <laughs> um, oh man, it's so bold, but visionary. I like it. I like it. These are good um, words. Mm hmm heart-centered. I like it. 
That's really beautiful. Mm. I agree. <laughs> Your three words. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, if I sat here and I was like, oh. Approved. It's, it's like, oh, isn't it? <laughs> when I said visionary, I was like, oh, I'm going to be judged so hard. Because, <laughs> um, but fuck it. <laughs> okay, well, actually, this ties into my next question. It's so funny you said that. Because my next question is, would you act differently if you knew you wouldn't be judged? It's deep. Even I had to think about that. Yeah. Having a real hard thing. No. About it. No. You would do exactly what you're doing. If like you knew that no one could be like could could judge you. <laughs> I don't know why I was trying to make that bigger than what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, do, I'd be the same right now. That may change. <laughs> <laughs> this episode gets released and you're like, oh, yeah, and I should have said. I'm really hoping that <laughs> I stay this way. I really don't want to. That's yeah. interesting. Though. It, can be, it can be harder when you're in, dif- depending on what networks you're in and mm. if you're in a job where there's, where you're not able to be your authentic self and push the envelope as much. Yeah. So there are factors that come to play and I just feel very blessed at this point in this very moment right here that I feel like I can be myself. Um, so fingers crossed, we hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check in again <laughs> in a week. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but yeah. But you made it, you survived the podcast. <gasps> Thanks for coming on. No, thanks for saying yes. I say to everyone, like, thank you for just saying yes to giving up your time and chatting to me. Oh, I love it. Such good quality chats. Right. Well, always, always with you. Thanks for listening to the Coffee Chat Podcast. Feel free to follow on Instagram at coffeechat.podcast and share the love. You're awesome and I hope you have a great day, night, or afternoon wherever you are and I'll see you in the next episode.